So do we want to hit the uh, the Cracker Barrel story before we go out? Do you want to go on the Cracker Barrel story? What a feel-good story. From... I actually have been saving it for this. Yeah, I haven't read it, but I read the, oh, the headline of it, and oh, I, I, refer, I now refer to it as my high school reunion. But if you want to give it a, <laughs> if you want to give it a quick read-through, I think we should uh, go ahead and get it. Oh, boy. Okay. Do you want me to? I can. I got it yeah, pulled you up. Read it? And this yeah. comes. I'll say this comes courtesy. I wish I. I wish I had come across this, but this came courtesy of my sister, uh, who said uh, who actually thought like this would be perfect uh, for for us to talk about. And the headline. <laughs> the headline is. <laughs> the headline is teen reunited with pet rooster lost at Alabama Cracker Barrel after Civil War reenactment. Um, <laughs> so uh hold on let me collect i gotta collect it's um i gotta collect, collect yourself <laughs> collect myself for this this is um this has uh this is a story it's a this has it all i mean this has um all right okay i'm, I'm ready i'm ready okay deep breath yeah. when a visiting rooster flew the coop the people of coleman and also, this is from the Coleman Times, Coleman, Alabama, uh, February 12th. Um, a visit, when a visiting rooster flew the coop, the people of Coleman stepped up to help reunite the owner with his feathered friend. It all started when 18-year-old Thomas Ramsey, a student at, I don't know how to say it, Colfi Academy in Gallman, Mississippi, and founder of the Muddy Rabbit's Mess, a 32-member military reenactment group, and the largest youth group nationally, was returning from a Civil War reenactment in Spring Hill, Tennessee, and stopped for lunch on January 31st at Cracker Barrel in Coleman. Of course he did. <laughs> why not? Because why would you not? Um, with him was his friend Jonas Patrick and... <laughs> And his, I, I guess I didn't catch this the first time. And his, and his buff Orpington rooster peep, uh, buff Orpington rooster peep. Peep is the name. Uh, peep is a handsome fellow. In keeping with the standards of this heritage breed of chicken, he's heavy with broad body and low stance, and having a bold, upright, and graceful carriage. He's been the cock of the walk ever I'm since ran. If I can interrupt, I just want yeah. people to note that that is a heritage breed of chicken, not a hate breed of chicken. <laughs> yeah. It's a heritage breed. Um, and he's been the cock of the walk ever since Ramsey found him on roadside last summer when he was still a young chick. So he found this heritage breed on the side of the road when it's just a young chick. All right, so here we go. We're getting into Ramsey a little bit. So Ramsey has been participating in reenactment since he was 14. It's a way, he said, to really connect with history as they reenact wars from the late colonial time up to World War II. <laughs> um, so most of the reenactments he participated in are, though you guessed it, from the Civil War. Um so when it when it said that he reenacted in when he did World War II reenactments, I just thought of the, um, I think the Michael Moore TV show. Like uh, when Michael Moore had his TV show, they did like a war. Like he got a bunch of Civil War reenactors to reenact uh, the bombing of Hiroshima, and um, <laughs> <just> like, <laughs> um, okay. 
Okay, back to the story. It's been part of history that needs to be represented, and we represent it as accurate. So he's talking about the Civil War. It's a part of history that needs to be represented, and we represent it as accurately as we can, he said. He's been around the country from Pennsylvania to West Texas, participating in 16 to 20 reenactments each year. He'll spend three hours a day for six or seven months researching for an event. When he's been part of an when he's been part of an organizing event, the research kicks up to six to seven hours a day over multiple months. Lord. For one event, he said, I had all my men spend a minimum of ten months preparing with accents and everything. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But, oh, that's got I don't even I don't even want to know. I, but, I can picture it, but I don't. But want the it. reason, the reason why he says the experience humanizes history. He says, he said he's not focused on being on any particular side of history, and side is in quotes, being on a particular side in quotes of history, but on representing the people and the times accurately. I don't like to think of it in terms of who was right. I like to think of it as <laughs> individual. <laughs> yeah, I, I bet. You see. Yeah, so you can got you're getting a picture. You're getting a picture of a Ramsey. I like to think of it as individuals going to war for whatever reason. <laughs> whatever reason, you know, things happen. Yeah. Yeah. Things Do you happen. like tulips? Do you not like tulips? <laughs> yeah. uh, in his research, he said there have been numerous accounts of soul. So we're getting back. We're getting to we're getting back to Pete. So in his research, he said. There have been numerous accounts of soldiers going to war with animals, including camels and, yep, roosters. So it mentions camels and roosters. You'll read, journal, you'll read journals of people carrying not just fighting roosters, but other support animals, he said. In one undisputed, so this is undisputed, in one undisputed account, said Ramsey, a Confederate soldier carried his rooster with him for two years. <laughs> <laughs> but that particular rooster's tail did not end well, though, as he ended up in the bellies of some Union soldiers. Oh, no. no I'm just wondering, Yankees. like, I'm very worried about how far his boundaries of support animal extend. <laughs> I don't know. No, I, don't I worry. Know. I worry about all kinds of his boundaries. Yeah. I worry about all his boundaries. <laughs> um. So, when Peep entered into Ramsey's life, it didn't seem unheard of to take the young bird with him into battle. We were at the house getting ready for an event, and we're sitting there playing with him, and, <laughs> and we're like, let's take him with us, he said. <laughs> at the first event, one of Ramsey's friends was carrying Peep in a bag by his side, and when the friend got hit, in quotes, Peep hopped out and just strolled about. So... There's about 10 cannons just blazing and all the rifle fire, and he's not going crazy. He's just pretty chill, said Ramsey. <laughs> Chill-ass chicken. Yeah. Peep, <laughs> Peep, Peep is, he said the teen, a real soldier. So Peep is just like probably deaf, maybe. Like Peep is like deaf, or I don't know. Or, uh, the Spring Hill event, so now we get to the current, so now present day. The Spring Hill event was the third Peep has been part of, and they were headed home when they stopped in Coleman. The young man took the rooster out of the cab of the truck and attached him to his leash and walked him around until their order was called. <laughs> no, while, while, they, 
<laughs> while they went in to eat, <laughs> while they went in to eat, they tied the rooster's leash to the bed of the truck oh, as they had. <laughs> yeah, I know, in a parking lot, in a Cracker Barrel parking lot. Oh, no. uh, but it says as they had done several times before. This is when I started to get. I was very. This is. I was very troubled at this point. Uh, but an hour later. Ramsey's friend went outside and came back with bad news. <laughs> they messed up the biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> they put sugar in the cornbread. Yeah, they're out of sweet tea. Uh, he said, he's gone, man, said Ram. He's gone, man. At first, I thought he was joking, said Ramsey. He messes with me like that. It wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't a joke, though. Peep had flown the coop. I went back. I got bad the- news. I couldn't. I couldn't complete the fifteen peg triangle board game. I'm a, I ranked out at doofus. Um, um, I went back into the Cracker Barrel, and it was very hard for me to say this with a straight face, even though I, <laughs> even though I was panicking. Do you have any camera? Yes, I asked. Do you have any cameras in the parking lot? I think someone stole my chicken. <laughs> he said. Um, you mean like off your plate? <laughs> um. Uh, someone overheard and said they'd seen Peep wandering around in the parking lot. Oh. Peep might have made a break from it. Racist. Tie me to the back of a truck, eh? <laughs> yeah. uh, he called the police, and Coleman Animal Control Officer Cooper Harris responded to the call. Cooper, Cooper looking for a chicken. <laughs> hey, Coop, you see any chickens? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Harris has been an animal control officer for five months, oh, so he was a rookie. And this was only <laughs> he had he was he had only been an an animal control officer for about five months, and this was only his second call regarding a chicken. <laughs> Chief, I'm not sure I'm ready for this yet. <laughs> it's time. It's time, Coop. You're gonna call to the big leagues. Yeah. Head to the were... Cracker Barrel parking lot. Yeah. <laughs> um the first one he involved had gone had not gone. This was the first one he, that had gone missing, though. I I have to say it's very 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 rare," said Harris. But Ramsey was impressed by Harris's dedication to finding Peep. He spent an hour and a half riding around looking for him. Harris even checked with a nearby farmer to see if he'd picked up the roaming rooster. And with the farmer's permission, checked the coop to see if Peep uh, had been following the birds of a feather flocked together adage and had wandered there, but there was no sign of him. But by this time, Ramsey had posted a mi- missing chicken post. So he had posted a missing chicken post and photos to several Coleman Facebook pages. Every five minutes, there was someone responding that they were out there looking for him, said Ramsey. Ramsey continued on to his home in Mississippi, hoping that someone would find his feathered friend. Thirty minutes away from his home, he received the news that Jeremy Cox had found Peep. (laughs) Is there a rule that everybody's uh, name has to have something to do with chickens? 
so. Yeah, I think so. That's actually a rule in that county in Mississippi. <laughs> yeah. Wherever the rooster wandered to, or whatever the roads he may have crossed, he'd found his way back to the Cracker Barrel, as we all do, as we all we all find our way back to Cracker Barrel. I've been trying to find my way back to the Cracker Barrel for years. So. Uh, where Cox had found, found him, his adventures continued from there. He changed hands like three times that day, said Ramsey. <laughs> But it was John Watson, a local farmer hey. who'd been po- posting. Yeah, thank. No relation. No relation. Well, probably, probably, maybe. <laughs> He'd been posting advice on finding and catching peep, who drove the rooster to Birmingham, where Teen and Bird were reunited. Watson oh. said he stepped up to help because it's important to. Sp- and this is important, ever. I think this is the, 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 the point of the story. It's important for him to spread love. For a fellow man or woman. And Watson also said, I believe in paying it forward. God has blessed my family so much throughout the years. I believe we should be kind to our fellow man. Yes, it was just a chicken, but it was his. And he clearly clearly cared for it. Ramsey agreed that Peep is special. Most of the time, I would not drive four hours for just any chicken. (laughs) Most of the, I'll repeat, most of the time, I would not drive four hours for just any chicken, said Ramsey. He's interesting. At Orpingtons, so I guess we're talking about the bird. Orpingtons are known as docile, friendly, and affectionate birds. Ramsey isn't entirely sure that's true. I don't know if it's his affection for him or him. I don't know. I don't know if it's. I don't know if it's affection or him just knowing how to manipulate the system. I don't know what, <laughs> what that means. Um, but Ramsey felt like Peep was happy to be back with him. He stood up and kind of jumped when I got him. <laughs> There's no doubt Strange about behavior for a chicken. Yeah. <laughs> Strange behavior for a chicken that's been uh, stuck in the <laughs> middle of hands, changing, changing hands around rural Mississippi all day. <laughs> After being in a gunfight all the whole morning. <laughs> um, so, all right, we're almost done. There's no doubt about Ramsey's affection for Coleman. Uh oh. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Hey, there's Ramsey. There's a peep right now. (laughs) (laughs) There's no doubt about Ramsey's affection for Coleman. I was really impressed. I love y'all's town now. (laughs) I can't think of many places where there are that many people willing to take the time to help out like that. All right. So here's the last, here's the last sentence in the article to continue following the adventures of peep. You can check out his Instagram page. <laughs> He's an influencer. <laughs> yeah, at, at peep underscore the underscore towel. So at peep the towel on Instagram. <laughs> oh, That's from the Lord. Coleman Times. Yeah, My thank you, Lord. Tara. Wow. That's like uh, a Flannery O'Connor, William Faulkner mashup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, the first part of that story had so many like strange racial overtones. Like I got kind of <laughs> yeah. nervous. Yeah. yeah, it's there's a lot, um, yeah, a lot going on with Ramsey. A lot going on, and you should check out his Instagram. You should check out the Instagram page. It's. Um, I I have, don't uh, mind if I do. Yeah. I don't mind it's if a, I do. It's a pretty oh, good. Oh my it's, lord! It's a good follow. 
I think we're we're pretty over time this time, but I think like uh, next episode we should um, do some some discourse analysis on this story because there's a lot happening with this poor young man practicing accents to simulate a war. I'm just um, which uh, should we ask which accents? I don't think we should. Well, history is you know a lot happened on both sides. That well, I was going to say uh, maybe he takes the German side in the World War Two. <laughs> Reenactments. He'd have to practice that accent. Um, mm-hmm. He's from the South. I don't know for a fact that he's um, uh, reenacting as a Confederate soldier. He could be reenacting as a Union soldier. Is you know, I have a cousin who reenacts, but he does all Revolutionary War stuff. Safe. If, <laughs> well, if you go to Peep the Towel, if you go to Peep at Peep the Towel you will find that he does do uh, some confet. He is dressed as a Confederate soldier in some, in some of the photos. Um, is ta- how do you spell towel? Uh, like a towel, like you wipe yourself, like you dry yourself off with a towel. Okay. Is the chicken is the chicken a towel? I don't know. That's not explained. <laughs> that's not explained. And uh, I think that's a good note to go out on. Anyway, this is uh, this week's episode uh, of Attica Shrugged. I almost forgot the name of our show. Um, <laughs> we talk about culture, politics, in the South. Uh, with me, as uh, is usually the case, are Chad Watson. Howdy, y'all. And David Dykes. Hi, hi. And I'm uh, West Cheek. I'm here in Kyoto, Japan, where it we finally had nice weather over the weekend, but now it's back to being dreary and uh, rainy. Um, that covers, does that cover the weather report for our show this week? Uh, pretty good. I'm here in Houston, Texas, where it's 29 degrees and there's ice everywhere and people are, lo- people are losing it. Well, it's a winter state, Texas. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. nobody wants to hear about the weather in San Miguel de Allende. It's clear and crisp. It's not. Uh, yes. It's, um, mid seventies in the day. Uh, high 40s at night. Very nice. I'm on uh, these like um, bi-weekly Zoom meetings for this this research project I'm on. And like most of us are in the Northern Hemisphere, but then we also have like uh, a few people who are in like uh, Chile and places like that. And so we're in the meeting, like we're all like huddled up in our houses and they're like wearing like a tank top and be like, whoo, boy, man, I will make it through this summer. Yeah. <laughs> mm. um, Anyway, so uh, anything exciting happening happening this week? Anything going on? In the world or in our lives? In your lives. In your lives. We're going to get to the world later. First, we get to your lives. Um, well, here in Houston, we had a good meeting with the principal. He gave us some good news. Uh, good news is we'll probably teachers will be eligible to get on the vaccine list in June. And that late? Wow. That's what he said. That's what. That's the good news. And the other good news was that only about fifty percent of the teachers 
have uh, been infected or had to quarantine oh uh, with COVID at the school. So, oh my lord, fifty percent. <laughs> well, this is this is quarantine. This is they've right, either right, they've right. been exposed. Like fifty percent of right. the teachers have been exposed, so they've either been infected or uh, had to quarantine. Only fifty percent. So he was pretty happy about that, and that so, we're getting the vaccines in June after school's over. So, so Houston public schools are going with the Florida strategy for this. I think they they Just are dive in dive <laughs> dive in go at why so. is it going to be June for vaccinations well he's not nobody's sure yet because right. if, in Houston well in Texas in Texas we're still I guess what is it on the first first phase like one B which is just essential it's basically like essential workers and people with health conditions I think over the age of sixty five if you have severe health conditions. Um, mm-hmm. And they've they've been really the state has been really close to the vest about who's going to be on the next phase. And I mean, and I guess like a lot of places, we're not. We just haven't been getting a lot of vaccines. And I mean, we're supposed to be getting a lot of vaccines pretty soon, from what I've heard. But yeah. So you you never know if you're going to be one of the places that doesn't get enough, or one of the places where they're like pouring it down the drain because no one right. showed up that day. I think that's it. Yeah. Oh, oh, um, I have a friend here in town who lives out on the ranch and she told me that there was an old man there who went to the doctor and the doctor told him that he had COVID and he said, um, no, I don't. It's just a, it's just a flu. And he went home and made himself a lot of herb teas and lived for a week on skunk meat and that he was cured after, after that. And so, um, I know that Texas has some skunks. Oh, we got some skunks. And probably some decent herb teas. So maybe, yeah. um, maybe they should look into that. I'll see if I can find some recipes. Are you yeah. just reading like the John Prine lyrics page? Is that what you're doing? <laughs> <laughs> I have a friend who knows a guy on a ranch. Yeah. <laughs> uh. no. I went down that rabbit hole. It happens like every few months where I go down the John Prine rabbit hole. I think it's brain poison for me. Two helping skunk meat. Yeah. I hear the dogs of San Miguel crying in the background. <laughs> oh, that's a John Prine lyric. The dogs of San Miguel. That's more, that would be like more, is that Towns Van Zandt? Oh, yeah. The dogs of San Miguel, maybe. I don't know. Uh, um. Anyway, yeah. I mean, I, not much is going on. Well, a lot's going on in Kyoto, but it's all boring. There's still no tourists in town, which is great. It's like having the whole town to yourself. But the weather's been garbage outside of this weekend when it was lovely, and the uh, plum blossoms are coming out. So before, Japan's very famous for, for cherry blossoms, but actually we have a plum blossom season before it, which is, um, I, don't, I wouldn't say I like it better, but it's not as tourism-centric or it's not as crowded, so... It's really nice. And for you Japan history people, uh, plum blossoms were actually the first introduced from China. And so Japan was in a plum frenzy far before it was in a sakura cherry blossom frenzy. So there you go. Uh, I also found out there's a, we live next to a really, really famous shrine, like a World Heritage Site shrine, uh, Shimogamo Shrine. And it, there's a controversy about a decade ago. They tore down it's it's part of part of its grounds are a forest that's never been chopped down. It's like a primeval Kyoto forest, and they tore down like half of it to put up these apartments, and um, which was controversial. And it turns out I found out through local knowledge that they're all uh, vacation 
homes for people from like Tokyo and stuff who want to come down to look at cherry blossoms and people only stay in them like about a week out of the year. Um, so it's a good thing they tore down the forest. Really happy about that. Uh, all right. So this week there's a lot going on that we were going to talk about. I think the most important thing that's happened in the South this week is that the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers yeah. uh, won the Galdang Super Bowl. Tampa Bay, the team name for a place that doesn't exist, or not a place, a town that doesn't exist. <laughs> the team name for a body of water. Yeah. Um, the town of Tampa Bay is not a place. Uh, won, won the Galdang Super Bowl. And I, this has been a strange thing this year. Like, I had zero interest. Like, I woke up that morning and I didn't even think about it. And I looked at Twitter and I realized the Super Bowl was happening. And I didn't, I didn't even watch it. I didn't, I had no, no compunction to watch it. You didn't Just watch, like, hmm? you didn't watch Touchdown Tom? No Touchdown Tom. No, no. Well, not that one anyway. Uh, but, like I like well I hate Tom Brady so that would that would have been a weird thing to watch but like I just like I can't outside of Saints games like I just cannot get interested in football I mean football like I have to kind of mask my like what I know about football to be able to enjoy football anyway right like kind of after Junior Seau shot himself in the chest so that they could figure <laughs> out what was wrong with his brain like mm-hmm. kind of after like you know the most jovial like good easygoing guy in the history of football shoots himself with a shotgun in the heart so that they can examine his brain to find out why he's miserable that kind of you know to be able to block that out and still watch football takes a kind of um, kind of mental energy anyway but to like be able to do that in the middle of a pandemic where people especially when they're having it in Florida and people are kind of pretending that nothing's going on like I couldn't do it for college sports at all cuz it's like those guys like they're making they're making these student athletes like compete so that the university can make money is like kind of too sickening to overlook but like pros is like okay i guess that's their choice but like i, I can't get interested now yeah. you know how it feels i know well i do yeah. did think during it i'm like well this is how david feels normal wow. this is how david wake wakes up every morning <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, completely not interested yeah uh, I'm kind of the same. I'm, I've been the same. I was. I've been the same way with sport. Like before, even though I know everything I know about sports, I've been able to like compartmentalize it in some way. And like, oh, I know all this stuff about sports, and I'm very intelligent, and I can still I can criticize sports, but watch it at the same time. But then with like COVID and everything, it's like wow, like they really. I mean, nobody. They really don't care. I mean, I thought they, they didn't care, care before. I right. thought they didn't care before, but wow, well, they really don't care, and they don't care if anybody knows it. So it's been right. I don't like know if, the, the we. Hmm, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say I don't know if this is a thing or not, but I see conservative people talking about drops in the numbers of people who watch football, and they're mm-hmm. assuming that that's because people are taking a knee, and yeah. uh, I don't know how much football is affected by. Uh, or, or football fandom and, and viewership is affected by people who care about brain damage and about, um, you know, immoral sort of business practices and one thing and another. But it seems to me like it's quite an assumption to think that um, the only thing that is pushing drops in ratings uh, uh, is Colin Kaepernick, who was what, like five years ago or something? Yeah, and well, something we've talked about that before, but I think that, you know, conser- conservative people, because they have like a, um, 
because like politically they have a lot more influence relative to how how much of the population they make up i think they think that that applies broadly right like i think they think they're a lot more influential than they are which is why they get really frustrated about culture stuff like sports and movies and whatnot where their their influence isn't um completely non-representative like it is in politics like where they're completely overrepresented uh so like i'm sure like there's some dent amongst like i know like my dad's like oh nfl he's a huge nfl fan like i don't watch that anymore i don't know how true that is but he said that uh all but i don't know how much is that or like people maybe like me and chad and other people that i know who are like i just can't get interested in it this year but then i've also seen some like you know like nascar like nascar rating like sports ratings are down i think across the board even the like the conservative golf is down like uh nascar is down I think just like, I don't know. I don't know what the reasoning for that is, you know. I mean, there's so right. many, so much other stuff to watch, but it's not just, people are just not, not watching the No Fun League because they hate America. Um, right. And it's strange because you would think with everyone stuck at home that it wouldn't be that way, but I don't know. I don't know what's yeah. going on there. I, uh, I, maybe I they're all just tuning in to the impeachments. Yeah. It could be. Talk about no fun league. Yeah, that's a no fun league. I mean, but who amongst us hasn't been in a hurry to get home for Valentine's Day? <laughs> Valentine's Valentine's Day vaca- your Valentine's Day week vacation. Yeah. Uh but I David, I don't did, did you see that part of the story about impeachment trial? Uh, uh the, they were wanting to get home for Valentine's Day? No. Yes. Yeah, so apparently Chris Coons, uh, Democrat Chris Coons, was um, kept going into the manager's room after after they decided to call witnesses. Call witnesses. Uh huh. He came in apparently repeatedly and said, "Look, guys, you just got to get this. Oh, you got to wrap this up. We're all we all just really want to get home for Valentine's." (laughs) 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 Which is like something I don't think any normal person has ever thought in their life. I'll be up. I mean, I, so much of like the life of being a congressperson or a senator is beyond me. But like the idea, like whenever they're like, "Oh man, you, we gotta, we gotta hurry up and do this because uh, we gotta get home." It's like, what? What are you talking about? Like your entire job is to, like sit around and like vote on stuff. Like, what are you in a? Like, what? I don't, I don't. Like, do you think like what other job? Like, I don't get to go home all the time. I don't know. Like, a job. It's weird to me, especially Valentine's Day. Like, if it's Christmas holiday, sure, you can see your, your like, grandkids or for senators, they're your great grandkids. Um, <laughs> all right. <laughs> but, like, I don't know. I got to rush home for Valentine's. I was going to repeat the funniest tweet I saw about it, but then I remember we're a family show, so I'm not going to repeat it. Are we a family show? Well, my family. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not mine. Yeah. I'm not sure about my, I know my sister's out there. Oh. oh, really? <laughs> I don't. I think yeah. Oh well, then why isn't she on? We should have had her on already. Yeah. Um. Or is that a part of our anti-nepotism policy for the? For the show? <laughs> <laughs> uh. But yeah. Well, we're talking about sports still. Oh no, we're talking about the impeachment. Well, let's talk about the impeachment thing. I mean, I was able. It was on at a really weird time for me because. Um, w- it would be like, I guess they started in my middle of the night. And so I'd wake up in the morning and I'd catch it. And it's one of those things like as, um, like I, 
like I think I differentiate from a lot of the the popular socialist discourse on, online in that I do actually like I am actually very interested in institutional stuff. Like I I'm I like I like this I like watching this stuff, and I also think it's important. I'm not like dismissive of it. Uh, and so I was watching this, and I I it I thought the Democrats did a lot better job. Um, aside from quitting for Valentine's Day, than I expected them to. I thought it was a very solidly presented presented case. I hope people watch it because I, for one thing, there was stuff in there, and I was following pretty closely from the sixth on, and there was still a lot of stuff that I uh, didn't know or hadn't seen. Yeah, it's it's just like it it was made a little bit more clear to me. Um, uh, every time that I see something new about it, it's a little bit more horrifying, and I realize how absolutely serious they were about murdering people. Yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of not too, I know I keep going back to this too often, but like, you know, there's such a huge crossover between that group and the people we had in New Orleans with the monument stuff. And I remember saying, we talked about it on here, I remember, and talked about it even before Charlottesville. I remember saying, like, those people want to kill people. Like, that's what they want to do, and they're not going to stop, right? They, they, that's what they're up for. Um, and they've kind of demonstrated that, like, over, over the last few years. And it's kind of amazing they haven't ended up killing more people than they have. And I, I think we talked a little bit about it on here, but like I don't the thing that's really frustrating to me is infuriating, I guess, in fact, is like the the I see it on Facebook a little bit and I see it on with Republican politicians is the idea that kind of somehow there were the uprisings across America last year about police violence and then that somehow is about in balance with this kind of um, insurrection in the Capitol, right? Like these things are somehow balanced out somehow. And it's like, well, there, there was this, but there's also that. When I, I think if there's any serious question about how those things were connected, it would all unravel. But of course, that's how these things work. There is no serious questioning of how they're connected. Well, and the and the idea that um, the whataboutism idea that is very common in politics all around, but maybe especially on the right of if you've done something that I have abhorred. And especially that I have abhorred publicly, then it's oh, abhorred publicly, then it's okay for me to do it now because you cleared the way for me instead of it was abhorrent when you did it and therefore I won't do it. Instead, it's somehow a justification. Um, and also, there's, and this I know is a theme that we hit every once in a while the fictional liberal that uh, always, when I get in political arguments online, they're always arguing against things that I haven't said, ideas that I don't right. have. Well, you think that Obama was a messiah, and it's like, right, no, right, I right. no, I don't. You I thought don't. you didn't say a word when people were burning down buildings this summer. It's like, yeah, I did. You thought that was just fine. No, I didn't. Um, but, you know, they have this construction of a liberal that they think every one of us sort of epitomizes in some way. Well, and that's the way, like, if you, if you follow... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, and you see the same thing on the other side where it's like all Republicans are fascists, all Republicans are white supremacists, all Republicans are responsible for absolutely anything that any right-winger has ever done. Sorry, David, you just did a both-siderism on, on the show. You're out. You're going. Um, right. yeah, well, um, 
Uh, I find it frustrating. I find the rhetoric frustrating no matter where it's coming from. Yeah, but in, we've talked about this before, but that's if you follow conservatism closely for a long time, which I think we all have, like this is one of the main features of it is that like, and this is like, you know, when Rush Limbaugh first came out, this is really the, the service he performed. And now it's across all conservative media is that conservatives like never will have to think deeply or critically about anything that happens because they're just given instantly like a course of what about right? Like you never, and it's, it's often just complete horseshit or is 99% complete horseshit. Uh, and it's, but they never have to actually confront a complex thinking about, about anything, um, about anything that happens. And I think, you know, I follow there, there's, I, I don't really have any conservative friends on Facebook anymore. Cause I kind of screwed the pooch on that one years ago, but, uh, <laughs> they, um, you know, I have people I check in on, like, I'll go look to see kind of what people are saying about this. And, you know, it's just complete loony land. It's, there's nothing, no connection to reality as opposed like, you know, on the left, uh, broadly speaking, when all of the uprisings were going on throughout last year, there was a real kind of interesting conversations about, you know, destruction of property. Like, when is that justified? When is it not? Who does that affect? What do we think about that? And I don't think anything's settled on it. I know kind of how I feel generally about it, but like, uh, there, there's, there's a huge conversation about it and there's not like one, one way to think about it. Right. But then amongst conservatives, it's just, uh, well, uh, well, a building but burned down. And then that quickly becomes, as you see, as Tucker Carlson says, city or Matt Gates, cities burned down. We lost American cities this year. When um, if you're thinking about it like making a GIS map or something, it's like a, a tiny, tiny, tiny little block of cities had any kind of even protest, right? A tiny fraction. And then within that tiny fraction, there was a very limited destruction of property, right? Which is often it just entirely symbolic destruction of property, like a you know a police outstation. What do you, what do you call it? Police, uh, like a branch office of the police, right? It's not or a substation or whatever. Substation. You call it. There you go. Or like a target, right? And it's like these are not like we didn't. There weren't like a the water supply wasn't blown up. A bridge wasn't taken out. Like cities did not burn. Like some limited spaces. Even so, even like really important uprisings in American history, like Los Angeles in 1992 which had widespread destruction, the widespread part of it is still not particularly widespread, right? So, but, but that all of a sudden just becomes the dialogue. And so if you are talking to a conservative about it, like you just begin at the position that cities were just, I think that's the exact language Tucker Carlson used this week because we lost so. American cities or American cities were destroyed. Well, I, assume, I assume that he did because that's what conservative people in my social media feed have been saying. So I assume they must have picked it up from him. Gotham is no longer on the map. Metropolis <laughs> is no longer on the Keystone, Keystone City is gone. Those were all wiped out over the summer. Starling City, gone. Starling, Starling's Silver Dollar City, gone. <laughs> <laughs> Taken over by liberal Dolly Parton. <laughs> this is a complete a complete digression, but uh, for Chad, like I didn't realize until like a year or so ago that uh, Gotham and um, Metropolis were just across the bay from each other. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, that is like yeah. I've been re reading a lot about people, yeah, you know, like talking about the ge the way the geography is set up. That yeah, they're just like it's like Saint Saint Paul and Minneapolis. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what a horrible place to live! Like, why did anyone move there? Yeah. Um, 
What a strange, strange. But I, so was that always the case? Is this always been the case, or was that done for like to make it the narrative easier when they started it, doing? I think it was to make the narrative easier when there was more crossover between Superman and Batman. I mean, I think initially, like, I think like Gotham was supposed to be Chicago and Metropolis was supposed to be New York, or right. Um, and the, but that was when there wasn't a lot of like Batman Superman crossover. But now. You know, so that like Batman can be in like Metropolis in like thirty minutes. You know, they make it. You know, well, I mean, he can fly so fast he can make time go backwards. So <laughs> I don't think he's Not further Batman. than thirty minutes yeah. from anywhere. Well, oh, Superman! Yeah, yeah. 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 Because New York and Chicago are miles apart. At least. Yeah. So I think that's. Yeah, and kind of there's been a couple of stories. Yeah, there was a couple of big stories, and rather than like retconning these stories, they just said, yeah, they're just Met- Metropolis and Gotham are really close together. So why not? Well, we uh, were talking book- about. Um... <laughs> <laughs> no. No, we're talking about comic books. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> we were talking about sort of um, um, what about ism and about uh, political psychology i guess and i i was kind of interested in why the south seems especially susceptible to craziness like QAnon craziness and i don't i don't know that that's true like are there really more people in um georgia who believe in QAnon than in michigan i don't know um, uh, can i give you some hypotheses hypotheses yes well, I would say probably it's like, you know, I don't know if there are more or less. There probably might be even, but it's easier for them to get in power in the South, right? Because that lane is clear open for them, right? It's like when we talk about Matt Gates on here, it's like not that Matt Gates is a talented politician. It's that there's no <laughs> – all he has to do is sign up. And he's, you know, I think it's the same with um, Marjorie, Marjorie Taylor, Taylor Green. Green. Yeah. yeah, is that she puts R next to her name, and if she makes it out of the primary, she's the she's a congressperson, right? That's just how it yeah. works. Uh, and, and I would say to the extent that there's more of it is that I would, I definitely think that there's a strong connection between evangelical Christianity and, um, being a sucker for uh, snake oil salesman, right? Like if you were, if you were primed to believe absolute garbage, you've been primed to believe garbage, right? And so there's so many tie-ins that people have pointed out between like kind of QAnon and, and evangelical christianity right like not that you have to be evangelical christian to buy into it but the belief that you you are the defender of of virtue and that the world itself is dirty and that these things are happening out there um you know like to say that like well you know uh democrats are running child slavery operations where they're drinking adrenochrome in the basement of a pizza joint is not going to be the craziest thing you hear in an evangelical church that month <laughs> I mean, Agreed. Like yeah. I, we've talked about it before, but like when I was a kid in the Baptist church, the biggest scourge against the nation wasn't abortion; it was Dungeons and Dragons, right? And we would get told these stories like every week about the kid who got possessed playing Dungeons and Dragons and murdered his family. That's what um, rotted my brain. Yeah, yeah, and so, um, and, you know, so like, what's what's what is that different about that and saying like, uh, you know, it's just transformed it into political and, and said, uh, it's not Dungeons and Dragons, it's, you know, 
being a part of not, not being a part of the Democratic Party or just anyone in opposition to movement conservatism uh, actually murders children. Well, I was when I was uh, looking for when I was looking at uh, sort of the history of this stuff. I hadn't realized. I mean, I knew what a Dixiecrat was, but I didn't realize that they actually broke from the Democratic Party at one point just for one year. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't know the story. Like I knew the picture of Truman holding up the newspaper that says yeah, yeah. Dewey defeats Truman. I didn't realize that the reason Dewey stood a chance was because the Dixiecrats were trying to, or states' rights Democrats, they called themselves, were trying to throw the election into the House of Representatives so that they could uh, broker a um, segregationist deal with um, right. uh, with whoever, with Dewey or Truman. And this, uh, I just hadn't realized that... It, Every once in a while, somebody tries to let the representatives, rather than the people decide, or rather than the electors even, decide who the president is. So that's not the first time that tactic has come up. And you learned all of this by watching the opening credits of Cheers, right? That's yes. Where I found out about it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, yes, I, there's strategies like that. And like, you know, the the conservative party in the south has been i mean there's different ways to think about it and i understand kind of the efficacy of saying like trump is something different and this is crazy and we have to stop it but it's a pretty straight line from like anti-democratic politics like throughout the history i mean we can make the argument for all of america and that's true but there's also kind of a brand of it that has gone through the south through through wanting to preserve uh the institution of slavery through jim crow on and on and on which has consistently tried to be anti-democratic and has been in fact like you know not just skeptical about democracy but like uh, aggressively against it right take away about 40 iq points and um huey long could have been uh, donald trump yeah well we'll measure his skull and check out what his iq actually was we'll see <laughs> yeah. we'll measure, it out. measure it out and see get those calipers out um yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Huey, I, I feel like, I always feel like, I, I read about Huey Long and I always feel like I don't know enough because he's such an interesting, interesting figure in history. And I do think, yeah, he's, I think he's quite bright. I think you're right on that. Um, and, and charismatic, which I will never quite understand Donald Trump's charisma, but he clearly has some kind of political charisma that does something to, to certain people. First person that that ever happened to me with was Reagan. I never understood how Reagan didn't seem like an absolute dolt. Well, and and like a, a sort of evil puppet. He always seemed like a uh, like his his cheeks were painted red to try to make him look younger. Yeah. And um, yeah, he just had this weird puppet like quality. Um, I assume you know that story. I don't know if it's apocryphal or not, but the popular story about the mental ward watching the Reagan debate. <laughs> no, I don't think I know that. Do you know about this? So I think it was which debate would it have been? Would it have been him versus Mondale or him versus Carter? But they were playing it to to like a ward of, of mental patients, and um, they all were just laughing hilariously because none of the kind of setup to make Reagan seem like a intellectual figure or someone you would take seriously had been like kind of pre-put into them and it was kind of lost on them. So they just kind of took it as a visual medium and just laughed at him because he looked like a clown. 
<laughs> he looked like someone who was on TV to entertain people. And so they just <laughs> laughed throughout the thing. Like, look at this, look at this like guy with rouge on his cheeks, like, you know, talking at the podium. Isn't he funny? Yep. Now, I don't know if that story's actually been proven true or not, but that's, I mean, yeah, I guess I was young enough during Reagan that at some points during it, I like believed like, oh yeah, he, this is a really, uh, a great guy. I, but I don't, you know, I grew out of that very quickly, but I, I do think it's funny watching Reagan. I remember thinking this during the George W. Bush years where like you listen to George W. Bush talk and like that never, that bullshit never worked on me, right? Like clearly this guy's a psychopath. Um, And then you listen to Reagan and you're like compared to Bush, like Reagan was well-spoken. You know what I mean? He could like do the lines. Like he had this TV presenter quality, right? Like where he's talking to you. Um, Yeah. And then, George W. Bush's like was just, you know, I think George W. Bush too had this weird kind of political charisma, but it was kind of like this physical political charisma. Like he, he would do stuff that was pretty like physically funny sometimes. Like I think the, when Al Gore was standing next to him, he turned around and kind of nodded at him. That was funny. Like things like that. But then when it gets to Trump, it's like, this guy's clearly just a repulsive, like physically repulsive, doddering moron, but people respond to that. And I guess they respond. I don't. I don't know why they respond to that. But I think it's partly just the fact that he was a celebrity who was famous for being rich, and yeah. so many people think that being rich is being smart, and um, that being rich is um, virtuous in itself. Yeah, that like that's the game, and that if you're right. good at playing that game, then you're right. a good right. citizen. You're a good person. You're. Right. Um, you know, a smart and uh, capable person. And also yeah, they, de- yeah. they denigrate politics so much that this whole idea, I want somebody who's not a politician, all the stuff about, um, uh, I see m- my friends across the spectrum saying we need term limits for senators. And it's like, well, if we had term limits for lobbyists, then I might think that it would be a good idea. But making it so that every two terms you have a freshman in the uh, position while the um, uh, while K Street just keeps going on and on and on and on with exactly the same agenda and exactly the same um, lobbyists and all of the connections, I think that that's uh, uh, just such a bad idea to... Yeah. Term limits is like the gateway drug for politics. It's like, you know, criticizing the Fed, like thinking the Fed is a conspiracy and term limits. Or like when someone starts bringing that up in a politics conversation, you know, it's like, huh. it's like, the, yeah, it's like the, the entry level being interested in politics. And then some people just stay with that the whole time. It's like, what? So let me just give you an example. Like, let's say we had term limits for, for senators. Okay. So Marco Rubio is gone uh, and we get next up Matt Gates. Oh, great. Good thing we had term limits. That really changed everything, right? It doesn't change anything. (laughs) Not for the better, anyway. Yeah, it doesn't mix up anything about politics. It just changes the person in that position. It does nothing to the underlying, like, anything that's going on, right? Like, you're going to get, like, what what do people really think it does? And I understand, like, one thing you're trying to get over is there's a thing in politics where, where, I forget the name of the effect now, it's probably something really simple, where once you get elected, you have a significant advantage to be reelected, right? If we see it. Dunning-Kruger, maybe? <laughs> no, it's not that. It's like a lot. But 
you know, great. So you want to overcome that. But like just like saying, like making the rule that you have to replace the person, I don't think I don't think solves that problem. You're just going to get like their apprentice or whoever they say, I want this person to succeed, succeed me. You're not going to get any mix up in parties. You're not. I just don't see it. I think having way more access to being able to vote, right, would 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 do a lot more than term limits. Right. Yeah. Passing a passing a new voting rights act will yeah, do more people, than term limits. More people voting, more people being interested in voting. It's just a yeah, it's not I don't know. Yeah. Doesn't make sense. <laughs> Doesn't work. I wonder I if sad. um I wonder if Georgia's um, uh, sort of surprising reversal is going to galvanize more uh, voters on the left. I hope so, but then I, you know, I keep reading. Um, our, you know, if you follow Ari Berman's work on voter suppression, like it's also yeah. kind of scary what's going to be happening uh, in two years from now. If if all of these laws that are being proposed in the states get passed, like it's. We're it's going to be it's locked hard up. to vote and with like re the redistricting that's going on because of the 2020 census. Yeah. Um, you know, like I think they, the Democrats are going to lose seats. Like New York is actually losing seats. Um, California, I think is going to lose seats. Texas is gaining seats like more, I think in more Republican led. Uh, and the guy who's, I don't know, the guy who's run, I'll have to share, I'd have to share this article with you. The guy who's running the redistricting efforts in Texas is the, um, I don't know, uh, Wes might've seen this. It's the guy that was, it was the, the lawyer that was coming to help Trump that he looked like he was like a super young kid and he was dressed like a cowboy. And he said, I'm headed oh, to yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, guy. Yeah, 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 that guy. So he is like a, I think he is a representative somewhere, like in some small district in Texas. But he's like head, he's like leading the, the redistricting efforts in Texas. And so like just with the redistricting efforts and everybody, all the, all the Republicans are talking about, well, there was all this, you know, there was a whole lot of cheating in this last election. So we got to. We got, you know, we got to make it tougher to vote. You know, we got to make it tougher for people to vote. So you can't vote by mail, you know, no voting by mail. You know, everybody's got to have like a space age ID to vote and all this like. And it's kind of like conservatives are so good at working this where they will cause the problem and say that there's a lot of problems and then impose exactly what they want to address the problem. Right. Like so. Uh, cutting back, like, you know, Houston, what, you guys got, like, one ballot drop-off for Houston? Yeah, Is that it? one ballot so drop-off, yeah. So they'll say, oh, well, look at it. Look at all this confusion around the election. Look how hard it is. We have to make some laws to address this. And then those laws will be, there should be no voting in Houston. Like, right, you should have to, um, yeah. you should have to, like, walk to Denton, Texas to, to vote. <laughs> to vote. <laughs> yeah. All right. Speaking of Texas, I saw Dan Crenshaw has been tearing it up on Twitter this month. Yeah, he's been. I'm trying to find the one tweet that he wrote. I can't find the one really stupid one, but he had another stupid one uh, like last week that said, I guess for the Super Bowl, said these commercials are proof that celebrities had a lot of free time this year. Um, uh, Dan, who filmed the the commercial of him skydiving, skydiving to fight Antifa who are driving their car through a field in rural (laughs) Georgia. Punching through the windshield. Well, his other one was something about, I think it was when AOC had her Instagram live talking about how she felt she was almost going to die in the, uh, you know, and rightly so feeling that way. He wrote something about how 
uh, what politics is all just about, like democratic politics is all just about this like kind of shallow emotion or something or trying to play the victim. And then again, the commentary was like, you know, you were, you, you felt threatened by the election of Georgia enough to make a commercial where you were yeah. a nimble, member of the Avengers jumping out of an airplane. You have a, a Captain America, a Captain America glass eye. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Literally. He's All not, right. uh, nothing wrong with Dan. Nothing wrong with Dan that can't be fixed with a, <laughs> never mind, with some satire, with some political with some, satire. Uh, with, at the ballot box. Nothing wrong with Dan that can't be fixed at the ballot box. <laughs> nothing wrong with Dan that can't be fixed in Minecraft. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, I also want to mention, I was talking about the Super Bowl. I wanted to mention that my all-star, superstar governor, Ron DeSantis. Was Ron DeSantis like Navy SEAL too? Wasn't he something stupid? Um uh, I don't know. Anyway, he said that, you know, he was at the Super Bowl, like, not wearing a mask, right? Like, so many people were at the Super Bowl. And they, so he was asked about it, and he said, um, well, how the hell am I going to be able to drink a beer with a mask on? Come on. Yeah. I had to watch Thank the Bucks you. win. Yeah, and so conservative Twitter was like, oh, hell yeah, this guy's Thank awesome. You. Thank you. And then, of course, the, the post-Super uh, Bowl victory parties were just a, yeah. Uh, celebration of maskless ridiculousness. Great well, job, Florida. Yeah. Well, that sort of takes us towards um, Mardi Gras, which Mardi we were going to talk uh, about. We were going to talk about laissez-bon-ton roulette. bon ton roulette, which we would be... It's, it's very weird this year, because last year I had my first kind of um, post-New Orleans Mardi Gras, which I'm sure David knows is a very weird feeling. When yep. You have you have to experience like the the days that you think of as just being you know you think of oh today is uh, muses today is Nick's oh it's uh it's toast today instead is like you know Wednesday Thursday and Saturday it's very weird <laughs> it's a very weird feeling uh, but this year it's like everyone in New Orleans is also having that feeling uh, so it's been interesting to watch from the outside and so there's this really strange dynamic that's that's going on um where the people of new orleans who've like you know were hit really hard really early by by um covid uh partially because of mardi gras last year kind of falling like right before all all the world health organization warnings went out but before but while covid was already circulating around right and so it was hit hard by that it's also hit hard because all the risk factors are there being poor being a majority black city, uh, being all the demographics that go along with, with uh, you know, being a subaltered population in the South, right? So um, New Orleans, and especially black New Orleans, was hit very hard by COVID. So this all this year, you know, the residents of New Orleans, on the whole, have been working very hard to get the cases down, um, working very hard at it, while the rest of Louisiana just goes ham, of course, as usual. Um, but so that's going on. Right. And, and, but then these contradictory things started to happen. One, uh, the mayor, Latoya Cantrell said, oh yeah, no, uh, Mardi Gras is open for business. Right. Um, great. She said that kind of contradictory. And then we have in New Orleans, I say we, they have in New Orleans, uh, this thing called New Orleans and company, which is kind of one of these weird public private cooperations, um, I'm thinking how to exactly define it, but that, that promotes tourism in New Orleans, like the tourists, it's separate from the tourist board, but 
there's this organization promotes tourism. I think they're funded by the public somehow. And their president, Stephen Perry, sent out this letter. When is this dated? It's last week or so ago. I'll read a little bit of it. It's from Stephen Perry. Dear members and colleagues, despite the restrictions announcement from the city today, be assured of one thing. The French Quarter is open, as is the downtown area during the celebration of Mardi Gras on Valentine's Day. All of our restaurants are open. The hotels will be welcoming guests and retailers will have all of your much desired things. And yes, you can mask, dress up in costume and enjoy cocktails and wine in your favorite restaurant. Throughout the pandemic, New Orleans and company, the hospitality industry, and all of your companies have worked to ensure that we emerge from this challenging time as a destination with the highest commitment to safety protocols to keep New Orleans citizens, visitors, and our workforce safe. I would say fact check that, that the paragraph before this indicates that you are not. But anyway, um, so here, so, okay, so they're doing, he's doing this kind of boosterism for New Orleans in the middle of a pandemic, right? Like, so with the people of New Orleans, the people of New Orleans are not doing parades, right, are not uh, gathering in the ways that they usually would for Mardi Gras, are foregoing all of this, right, while the mayor kind of plays a double game of putting in restrictions and then saying, well, New Orleans is open, and then this dork who's the, who's head of, like, you know, is tourism, trying to keep local businesses making money for tourism, uh, says, uh, yeah, yeah, despite all this, we're open. Come to the French Quarter for Mardi Gras, right? And then, like, who... Is he a person who has to work in one of these places? No, right? Like, and so instead of paying, as with most of America, instead of paying these workers at restaurants and, and hotels and the people who actually have to do this work to stay home and paying businesses to stay closed, they're trying to, like, say, come spend your money here. We're not going to make any payments to keep these people alive. They're going to have to, like, put their health in danger to serve you. Okay, so here is where this kind of takes another turn, right? So he said, we're open. Uh, but, and I'm starting back from Stephen Perry's letter here, it is unfortunate that young people, college students in particular, and many other area residents have not abided by the safety guidelines and held uncontrolled maskless gatherings, leading to today's highly problematic decision on enhanced restrictions by the mayor. What happened at a favorite bar of all of ours uptowns and a separate incident on Bourbon Street have been well chronicled. Our own residents created a dilemma for government. It wasn't the small number of responsible tourists we have been hosting or the majority of our citizens and businesses. We respectfully urge that city government re-examine their identification and quick response system relative to blatant public gathering violations and egregious unsafe behavior. So, so what he's Because there's is, nothing yeah. that New Orleans natives do quite like flock to Bourbon Street. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well-known New Orleans local gathering site, Bourbon Street. Um, I would also say, like, you know, uh, uh, uptown bars, like, so we talk about college students, and, you know, um, if you're talking about my alma mater, Tulane, there's a very thin line between Tulane students and tourists at this point. But, like, anyway, that's another conversation. But, like, so he's blaming... He's saying, we, we're open for tourism. In fact, we'd like for you to come here. Please come to Mardi Gras. Please come to Bourbon Street for Mardi Gras. Uh, and people from New Orleans, hey, you need to keep it in your pants, guys. Yeah. Your fault. It's your fault. We can't have fun as hotel owners. Yeah. Right. Well, and the whole um, uh, New Orleans and company, you know, is is – I think sort of an extension of the chamber of commerce. It's uh, certainly not, it's representative of owners of uh, tourist businesses. Right. Yeah. Who, you know, and that's, 
I'm kind of working on this in my professional life right now too, but this is kind of this weird thing that you see where so many places, because kind of um, in countries like Japan and America and places like this, the kind of manufacturing economy has been on the way out for a while, right? And so they've tried to create these tourist bubbles in different places. And so uh, during um, COVID-19, the, the, the tourist bubble is exposed as being the ridiculous thing that it is being completely exploitative of, of peoples and places and things like that. But they have to just have to keep it running because these influential people, um, make their money off of it. And so they're trying to figure out, well, how do we keep this, this whole thing running when every logical preventive measure would tell us to just stop doing it. Right. Uh, but they can't. They can't stop doing it because once it stops, right? How, do, how are they going to get it started again? What are they going to do again? What's their racket? What's their next racket now? Where do they make money from now, right? And so, if all the restaurant workers have to have to die, well, you know that happens sometimes. I mean, who cares? It's what you know. Mine workers were a hundred years ago. Use them up, and then they're gone. But oh well, we still get to have these hotels. Um, it, yeah. Any, what are we gonna? Just that um, um, KG um, uh, was speaking on behalf of hospitality workers who were threatening a strike. And there's just this unwillingness to allow workers to have a seat at the table, to allow them on the reopening committee, to allow them. Certainly, they're not part of um, New Orleans and company. Uh, the idea right. that they should ever have a place to sit down at a, a table at a, in a boardroom and on a, a, a council committee anywhere uh, seems just to be built into uh, the American system. If you got time to clean, you got time to clean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, it just goes to show like how exploitative all of this is, even in normal times. Right. And like who, these kooks should, should just have no power, but they have, have have all the power to do it and this has been you know this is in one of the other sad things about it is that the people of new orleans have been doing this kind of incredible stuff to make sure that mardi gras like so and we should frame this for people who have no experience with with any of this is that one of the funny things when articles from like national media are written is like the new orleans government canceled mardi gras it's like well that's not mardi gras a seat mardi gras like a season right it doesn't you don't cancel or not cancel it it exists they've canceled the the major parades right they've canceled the parades which is what is in their ability to do you can't cancel uh, mardi gras like guys you can't cancel lent right it's a season but yeah. um but so the people of mardi gras or people the people of mardi gras the people of new orleans have been figuring out ways that you know have have mardi gras on these current terms and they came up with um what is it? The, the crew of houses uh, are also called Yardy Gras. I think I don't know if these are two different organizations yeah. or not. Which is which has been pretty cool. Which is people decorating their houses, and people can come by in the street whenever, right? And either kind of take some throws or have some throws at them. And in fact, some places like the crew of Red Beans, who uh, my crew is associated with, have been doing this great thing to keep Mardi Gras art because there's a whole economy around Mardi Gras to keep Mardi Gras artists employed, uh, having them decorate houses and things, right? And so that's been going on. And and the good thing about that is that the people of New Orleans have a good sense about these things and are kind of not congregating, but going around to look at things at different times. But because of this kind of confusion and promotion, I think there's some confusion with... Uh, 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 not uh, who's the first parade every year? We go to watch them in Marini. Why is it blanking out? 
Crew de Vue, with Crew de Vue, who I love, uh, where they were trying to kind of go along this, but it got out that they were, there was this day their stuff was debuting on, and all of these people, including a lot of tourists, went to it, right? And so it kind of created the gathering. So you have all these mixed messages happening. I saw a good tweet yesterday where, where um, somewhere on social media, four tourists said, like, where, where would you recommend four girls who didn't realize Mardi Gras was uh was canceled go out for the go go for the evening and everyone responded home um so <laughs> very mixed messages uh i'm thinking um um uh trixie minks did her house mm-hmm. up um uh the shit oh, show right, because the sewage and water board had the street all torn up in front of her oh, okay. house so hers Wait, was when do they house. not yeah, and the House of Aging Homosexuals, um, uh, Michael Martin. They they are. Uh, he was broadcasting live today, and he's th- doing throws off his front porch. Uh, I have friends on uh, on St. John's Bayou, so I guess it's all over the city that it's all people over. are doing like their houses yeah. like floats. Yeah, there's maps for it, and some of them are like really elaborate and expensive, and some of them are just super normal, which is cool. Um, there's also been Mardi Gras under the Oaks, which I think you you can. Uh, pay to go drive around inside city park and they have the it's kind of cool they have like actual like the mardi gras floats like popular floats like i know the muses duck is out there i can't yeah. think so they have them parked out there and i think people throw from them and like they have walking crews dance out there like i know my my crew uh lucha crew has been dancing out there and it's kind of i mean you, you pay to get in but i'm pretty sure like this is to support like because there's people whose year year of work is on mardi gras i think yeah. it's to support them and keep them uh going through this so there's been all these really innovative ideas but like um wherever you are in the world that has a tourist economy there's people at the top of it who are just bloodsuckers who like don't have anything to do with these kind of creative things that are happening and just like extract the money from it you know um it's the same in kyoto right now like tourism is suffering and in some ways that's great because i would love to see tourism just like strangled and stomped out in kyoto but it's also sad because there are a lot of people who um converted their life to making a living off of tourism because the same here in san miguel and i'm sure the houston uh tourism uh, industry is <laughs> suffering too well a big thing that just recently happened was the houston uh, livestock show and rodeo was canceled oh um, i used to go to that yeah which was, they had they had uh they'd pushed it back until may like it usually like it would be we'd be gearing up for it right now like it usually happens in like around first of march and it's like a month long uh, I think maybe the second largest rodeo, like in North America, and you know, after there's the a Calgary livestock. Stampede. After, <laughs> after the Calgary <laughs> Stampede, and the um, and yeah, they just re- and they had pushed it back like to May, and that was a big deal when they pushed it back to May. They were like, well, like at least we can have, you know, it was we really would rather have it in March, but we're going to push it back till May, and then I guess it was maybe a couple weeks ago, like they just decided, like we really feel like you know the numbers are not going to be, um the numbers are not going to be where they need them to be and we can't safely have it and we're going to shut it down and have it try and try again next year. And it was like, yeah, it's a big deal because there are, I mean, yeah, it's another thing where there are a lot of big companies that make money up, but there are also a lot of small people and small vendors that, you know, it's, you know, basically half their half or all of their year. I'm just thinking on. what it's going to do to the funnel cake industry, <laughs> yeah. Fun, the, the corn dog ear, industry, elephant ear industry, yeah, the pig yeah. race industry, pig race, <laughs> yeah, carriage race, the carriage race industry. Um, 
Yeah, so it's, the uh, leather boot industry, the yeah. custom belt buckle, custom made belt buckle industry. Yeah. Well, and it was like the Houston rodeo was sort of notorious. Like it was like where kind of the Houston shutdown originated last year, because I think that was the first, maybe the first case was reported that like a security guard had caught Corona at the livestock show and rodeo. And so they, they shut the rodeo down last year, like in the middle of the rodeo, they just like, like we're shutting it down. And, um, but yeah. They should just um, they should just try to ha- have it in conjunction with the Tokyo Olympics. Yeah, there we go. A little crossover crossover action. So there's um, the historic New Orleans collection. If you've never checked them out before, they're they're really great, and their website is very good. But they have an uh, article out this week on the 14 years in history when parades didn't roll; oh, um, they were canceled. Uh, and it's interesting to read because during the Civil War, they didn't for a while, but then. Mardi Gras was kind of taken over by uh, the Union, and the Union kind of ran it, which is interesting. Uh, and then in 1875, it was actually canceled due to white supremacist violence. Um, if you know anything about the history of Mardi Gras, like race and Mardi Gras are uh, a very deep and interesting um, topic, right? And so a lot of it was it was kind of like if you if you know anything about like kind of the old way Christmas used to be, it could be that way where there's a lot of uh, rabble rousing and, and hijinks, but it was also like about political factionalism and stuff. And so there's a white, white supremacy violence around it. It was also canceled due to yellow fever. Uh, mm. If you're an interview with a vampire fan um, <laughs> and Spanish <laughs> flu in 1919 and then world war two. So these things like happen. I think the, the most recent one was the police strike uh, in 1979 where, yeah, the, when the police were members of the Teamsters and um, I guess, are they still in New Orleans? I don't know. And so, uh, yeah, they couldn't do the parades because the police were on strike. Um, that was the last time it was all, all the parades were canceled, but yeah, the historic New Orleans collection, which is uh, HNOC.org. Uh, if you're interested in New Orleans or history at all, they have great, great archives and a lot of them are online. Um, they're a good organization. I spent a lot of time in their archives when I was, when I was in school. And they have, uh, if you go to New Orleans, it's great. They have the, their, their headquarters is um, <clears throat> in the French Quarter in a nice renovated old building. Anyway. We well, have one more thing we were going to uh, mention, which is the uh, union organizing in Bessemer. Which is a huge story and a great story, and I think we should probably save it for next time when we have more time to talk about it. But if you're following it, you should follow it because yes, if, you about, yeah, if you care about – uh, labor and you care about union organizing or if you care about race uh, issues in the South, if you care about anything um, and you care about the effect that Amazon has on the economy, the the union campaign in Bessemer is a huge, huge story and is um, very well organized on both sides. So Amazon's really fighting against it and uh, the union is doing a good job of organizing. They're being u- organized by the retail wholesale and department store union, RWDSU, which have a foothold already in that area of Alabama because they organize poultry workers as well. And poultry worker working is a big thing in that area of the country. And if you're not familiar with Bessemer, Bessemer is super interesting. It is a suburb of Birmingham that was originally grew up around the the steel industry there, but it is, uh, I believe like 80% uh, black city. Um, So there are tons of racial issues tied up in this. Also the birthplace of Bo Jackson, if you're a sports fan. Um, we know, we know Bo. We know Bo. So, <laughs> uh, 
this 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 uh, has a lot of tentacles to this whole issue, and it's really important. I think this is going to go on over the next few weeks, right? The voting. Yeah, is I think the voting, weeks. like the voting, goes on until like the end of March. I think is like something yeah. like that. Um, and I know there's been a lot of, as of course there is, there's a lot of mischief on the part of Amazon uh, here, like hiring a lot of temporary employees to go in and wear vote no badges and and. Uh, lots of other, lots of other kind of hygiene. And given the heave ho to Bezos, the the working man's friend. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think I'm trying to find. I think, I think they also like rigged stoplights somehow, so that they were doing registration drives at the stoplights, and so they've rigged the stoplights so that they can't. Yeah, stop they the did. Day. Like they talked. Yeah, they had the city. Like the city came in and rigged the stoplight so that it was difficult for like yeah them to do the the union drive, like the the drive at the time they were doing. It. <laughs> Hokey smokes. Yeah. All right. <laughs> See you next time. Thanks, guys. Thank you.